Well, we're in a series, and we're going to conclude it today, called Living Life Unbroken. And it's based on the book Unbroken, which uh, characterizes the life of a guy named Louis Zamperini. Uh, he was a juvenile delinquent. He was an Olympic runner. He was a bombardier on a B-24, and he was two and a half years in a prisoner of war camp in Japan. He finally met Christ in 1949, changed his life, and he became an ambassador for the Lord until just recently, a few months ago, he passed away at 95 years of age. I love what he used to say, if you can take it, you can make it. I still believe that. I mean, sometimes it's just go another day, just another day. Perseverance. God gives you perseverance. He says you have need of perseverance. That word translates endurance that after you've done what God requires, you might obtain the promise. But what brings that reward? Endurance. Most people quit before they, before they get the breakthrough. Quit too soon. It's always too soon to quit. And so these guys are just illustrations in the Bible and in life to encourage all of us. It's not too hard. God will never allow you to go through something His grace will not equip you to endure and to finally overcome. So all we want to do is encourage you. This is not a sermon. I'm just picking out bullet points from the book and the movie and this guy's life and watching him on repeated interviews talk a little bit. It's encouraging. So kind of think we're like in a house group and we got some coffee and some wings and some chip and dip, a margarita or something. I don't know. I'm getting hungry myself. And uh, you know where I'm headed after the service. This. Uh, Super Bowl weekend. But anyway, my point was, you'd be relaxed, you'd be casual, and we'd say, how does that speak to me? And so, uh, let me try. If you read the book, during World War II, Lewis is a Japanese prisoner of war uh, guy. Uh, how did he get a little bit of revenge over one abusive guard nicknamed the weasel? So if you read the book, A, got a job as a cook and spit in his soup. B, got a job as a medic and gave him super laxatives. C, got a job as a barber and shaved his eyebrows to look like Marlene Dietrich, who in the 40s was the ravishing film actress and beauty queen. Uh, she died at 95, and she had these real high, pencil-thin eyebrows. So everybody in the world knew her, kind of like Marilyn Monroe in her day. Or D, got a job in the laundry and starched his underwear. Well, the correct answer was what he said was, I cut his eyebrows down real thin like a pencil line. Then the weasel went back to the guardhouse, and I heard two words said to him by guards I'll never forget, Marlene Dietrich. So he knew how to get a little measure of revenge even in a prison. Which brings us today about some lessons we can obtain by abuse, being in a prison, and apparently forgotten. Where's God in that? I'm going to pick out a few points, and then we'll just apply them to our lives. First, you have to understand there's such a thing as evil in the world. There really is. Paul says, for we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. This is not natural. He says, but against spiritual forces of evil. So evil is real. There is a devil. There is evil in the world. There's a principality and power behind it. Satan comes to steal, kill, and destroy. He doesn't want you to have one good day. And you better be a combat veteran and know that you have rights, know your identity in Christ, and know that you have weapons to combat him. You are not alone in this fight. 
So when we talk about anger, we talk about sin, we're not talking about problems a human being can solve in the natural, in the flesh. You need some supernatural power to deal with this. From the very beginning of time, God said to a guy named Cain, sin is crouching at your door. So anger, the Bible says, involves a spiritual battle too big for a human being to overcome on his own. Evil is always present on this earth. It breaks out into the open in the life of Lewis. After he's rescued from this life raft after 48 days at sea, he's thrown into conditions, he said, of unspeakable filth. He's tortured, humiliated, routinely beaten, subjected to medical experiments that made him want to die. He was forced into slave labor. He was starved. When he got food, he says it was indescribably filthy and awful. Labor would be forced on prisoners until someone would drop. One form of punishment was the guards had all of the enlisted prisoners punch in the face their officers. If they didn't hit them hard enough, then the guards would club them. Lewis says in one two-hour period, all of the officers, including Lewis, got hit in the face by their own men over 220 times. You think you had a bad day. Conditions were so brutal that of the 34,000 prisoners of war in Japan, more than 37% died there. They would do anything to fight back. Lewis said a group of Scottish prisoners were not only being starved, but forced to load food provisions for enemy soldiers on boats so the enemy would, able, would be able to eat in abundance. So Lewis writes, these starving Scotsmen would drink excessive amounts of Japanese tea. The enemy couldn't figure out why the Scots loved Japanese tea so much. Lewis writes, quote, it was actually a form of sabotage. The Scots would drink tea all day, then take turns peeing on the rice so that by the time it reached its destination, it had spoiled. <laughs> what can you do when you're a prisoner? You can pee on the rice. That's what you can do. Nobody's looking. And by the way, if you think that's unusual, they did it on V2 rocket components in concentration camps in Nuremberg when the Nazis were shooting V2s into Great Britain. They did anything they could when someone wasn't looking to try to at least sabotage the working of something. Lewis said his darkest moments involved the camp commandant, a guard named The Bird. This guy was something like out of a nightmare. He would beat POWs every day fracturing their windpipes, rupturing their eardrums, shattering their teeth, tearing one man's ear half off, leaving them unconscious. He combined physical with emotional torture. He wanted to humiliate and destroy every prisoner's sense of humanity and dignity. Now, Lewis is going to have to deal with that as a human being in his own heart. I wonder if you have anybody this morning you're mad at. What do you do when somebody abuses you? hurt you. Well, the prisoner that this guard commandant hated the most was Louis Zamperini. They figure because he was an Olympian, this guy was a nobody that suddenly had power over helpless prisoners. It's always the nobodies that you give them black boots and a little hat and a little bit of power that are the abusive ones, and the only way they can whip you is because you have no rights and you're handcuffed. Put them out in the open face-to-face, -face, and you could whip them with one hand. I'm waiting for somebody to get a piece of that ISIS British guy who keeps decapitating these innocent people and journalists. I would love to have a piece of him.
on film, hand to hand, till the death. <clears throat> that was not the redeemed part of me coming out, was it? <laughs> Just speaking in the flesh there. So this guy hated Zamperini. The first time he met Zamperini, he beat him for not looking him in the eye. And then he beat him again for looking him in the eye. He illegally kept him from being registered as a POW with the Red Cross so his family back in the States wouldn't know he's alive and would think he's dead. You can see the certificate on the side screen. This is the certificate the U.S. government sent to Lewis's family informing them so they would think their son was dead. Talk about wicked evil. And so he's assigned to clean up pigsties. He has to use his bare hand to clean the filth and eat slop for a pig just to stay alive. In this, in this book, this commandant, the camp commander, the bird, took off his belt against Lewis on some trumped-up false charge. And with a belt buckle that weighed about a pound, he swung it around and around and hit Lewis in the temple of the head, knocking him unconscious and bleeding. When he came to, he said this, this guard, the, the bird, was standing over him. He offered him a tissue and was making some kind of sympathetic sounds. Lewis thought, well, maybe there's a little compassion in the guy. Maybe he's sorry. He helped Lewis to his feet. Lewis is thinking just for a moment, and I'm feeling a little bit of relief, and then all of a sudden, bam, he slings that belt and hits him again in the same place. He says he beat Lewis every single day. He tried to humiliate and dehumanize him. What do you do when somebody does that to you? Mm. I was struck reading through this about the suffering that evil can inflict. Veterans suffering from wounds inflicted over 40 years ago in Vietnam were quoted as saying, Lewis's story, his torture, and his faith in God, and his recovery gave them hope. It made me think about how many people in our own congregation, San Antonio being a military town, have served in the military or in past World War II or Vietnam, and how Lewis's story might bring to mind some of the things they suffered. How can we ever say thank you enough? to our veterans who've defended our freedom and our country. And how can our church be a place of honor and healing? Thank you. I thought about others of you who've gone through suffering just as severe. You've been abused, raped, molested, beaten, betrayed, violated. You're not alone. There is evil in the world, and God cares about it, and He confronts it on the cross. God brought healing to Lewis, and I promise you, God can bring healing to you. Another factor from this story is that a single act of kindness can mean the world to a person who's in pain. Jesus said, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. Who gets mercy? Merciful people. What did Jesus say when the Pharisees wanted to stone someone? Judgment, judgment, judgment. He said, I will have mercy, not sacrifice. Churches are not to be a place of judgment, but a place of mercy to at least express the mercy of God on behalf of all of us who are guilty. I never could understand that. And I find it interesting in politics. Sorry for these flashbacks, but I'm old. Put up with it. When Clinton had his little fling with Monica Lewinsky, whatever went down. Something went down. I don't know what went down. But I remember a lot of the ultra-conservatives jumped on him and damned him, and the Speaker of the House jumped on him and called it a cancer that needed to be cut out. And 
I remember listening to that, and then it wasn't long afterwards their sordid affairs became known. Illegitimate children, a 20-year affair, and they didn't get a bit of mercy. Then I watched preachers who become famous and wealthy and proud who are damning everything, and then they're caught, right? And, and they, then they write and talk about how the church was so mean to me. Well, you idiot. You were mean to everybody, meaner than hell. If you want mercy, you've got to sow mercy. If you want love, you have to sow love. I don't care if you don't like it. I'm telling you the truth. I want to be a person who doesn't ignore a sin, but show mercy. Our God is a merciful God, or not one of you'd be sitting here. You'd be briquettes. He'd toast every one of us. If God were to mark iniquity, Scripture said, who can stand? Well, not me. And don't be looking at me weird. Not you either. <laughs> Blessed are the merciful. They shall receive mercy. A guard comes to Lewis' prison door. He knocks on his cell. And he asks Lewis, are you a Christian? Lewis said, yeah. He said, I wasn't sure what to say. Lewis hadn't been to church since he was a kid. He said the last time he had been to church, he came in late. The priest came down, walked over to him, twisted his ear, sent him home to get a note from his mother to explain why he came late. He never went back. They kind of handled coming late to church a little different than in our day. Me, a lot of ears twisted in here. Lewis told the guard, yeah, I'm a Christian. The guard, Kawamura, said, I'm a Christian too. And he gave Lewis a pencil and paper so they could communicate. He started to give him small amounts of food out of his own supply. One day, another guard came to the cell and rammed a stick through the door window into Lewis's face, trying to poke out his eye. The next day, Camarua came by and saw Lewis's bloody face, and he said, what happened? And Lewis told him what this other guard did. And then Camarua just lifted up his arm and pointed to his bicep as to say, I'll take care of this. A couple of days later, Camarua came back and pointed out of the door so Lewis could see this vicious guard who was now bandaged around his mouth and had his head bandaged because Camarua had taken care of his little friend, Lewis. It's, it's interesting how there are little glimpses of mercy and hope and kindness even in a terrible, debauched place. Later on, a private named Yukichi Kanu also a Christian, risked his life to sneak charcoal to the men to heat their room or give them a blanket to keep warm or give them some a supply of medicine to help them so they could stay alive. He risked his own life to do that for him. He would have been beheaded and shot for what he was doing. Pappy Boyington, you may remember a TV series, Baba Black Sheep. He headed a flight squadron in the Pacific during World War II. He was awarded the Medal of Honor. He was also a prisoner of war. He writes, and also a very good friend of Louis Zamperini, he said, there was a man way braver than I was in that camp, and he named this Japanese private Kano. These were men who literally were obeying Jesus' command, love your enemies. So seriously this morning, how's that working for you? How are you doing on that? Now, I was going to apply that this weekend by saying, find somebody you don't like and say something nice to them on the way out of church today. But then I thought, well, they'd know you didn't like them, and that wouldn't be a good idea. And then I was more afraid you might say something nice to me, and I wouldn't like that either. <laughs> so I'm just going to skip that. But what is some step you might take towards somebody where naturally you just don't want to do it? And for whatever reason, you just don't like them. Something about them puts you off. Something 
in you is not inclined to move towards them, but sometimes just a simple act of kindness, noticing a word, encouragement, can mean the world to somebody in pain. You learn that in prison. Third, time does not heal all wounds. God does. Time doesn't. God does. Lewis' suffering was so intense years later, out of prison, back in the States, now abusive to his wife, an alcoholic, he began to experience flashbacks, and he had to have nightmares every night about this camp commander called the bird. He'd be filled with rage. He had one dream where he woke up thinking in the dream he was attacking the bird finally, but he realized it was his own bed, and he's choking his pregnant wife. He suffered from what we now call post-traumatic stress syndrome, anger, rage, and emptiness. He tried to manage it with alcohol. But Lewis, in 1949, wandered into a tent on the streets of Los Angeles, California, a Ringling Brothers tent, where a young evangelist named Billy Graham was preaching on John 3:16. For God so loved the world, He gave His only Son, that whoever believes in Him should not perish, but have everlasting life. I remember Tim Tebow playing for the University of Florida, and he always had under his eyes that black shoe polish, John 3:16. Anybody remember that? And any time the camera did a close-up on him when he was doing so well, you could always see John 3:16. Uh, he won the Heinzman Trophy, and any time the camera came around, everybody that watched television would see John 3:16. So a couple of years ago, in the playoffs, Denver was playing the Pittsburgh Steelers. Tebow was a hero for that game. He threw for 316 yards. He averaged 31.6 yards per completion. What's interesting is that on Monday, the single most searched term on Google was John 3.16. For the first time in history, a Bible verse was number one on the Google search process. Whether you like him or not, he had influence and impact. I was kind of thinking, after a great song or a great point, maybe we should all just kind of drop and do a Tebow, you know? Not bad. He had impact. That's what we're supposed to be, light. It took Lewis a while, but he eventually surrendered his life to Jesus Christ. And often when that happens, particularly when you're filled with rage and anger, God's going to ask you to do something. And so Lewis had to confront his alcoholism. He said he went home, his house was full of liquor, wine, champagne, and a 300-year-old bottle of expensive cognac. He knew what God was calling him to do, so he took the wine, he took all the alcohol, he poured it down the drain and the toilet. However, he took the cognac and returned it for a whole lot of money. When I read that, I thought, wonder what cognac costs? 300-year-old cognac. So I Googled last night in the service, just before coming out, and a couple of us found out that a hundred-year-old bottle of cognac sold for $200,000. That's what I'm saying. <laughs> but a 300-year-old bottle, what would that say? He, that ain't no fool. Jesus saved him and still kept his brain. He sold it <laughs> and got money back for that one. So I just thought that was kind of interesting as well. So he got rid of it all right, but he, he got something for it. Paul made this discovery too. He says the next morning he woke up. From that day forward, he never had another nightmare about the bird, and he said he had not had one since. And that was when this book was done. He was 94 years old. He said, it's as if the doctor cut the hating part of my brain away. 
And God does that. Paul says, if anybody be in Christ, he's a new creation. Old things are gone, the new has come. God gives you transformation, a new heart, a new nature. God's still in the business. You know, we're able to forgive sinners for only one reason. I'm a forgiven sinner. What do we pray in the Lord's Prayer? Lord, forgive me of my trespasses as I forgive those who trespass against me. And that's an everyday job. And God said, if you won't forgive your brother after I've forgiven you, God won't forgive you. So there's nobody you can't. You don't condone what they did. You don't approve what they did. They may have to face justice for what, but you forgive them. The thief on the cross was forgiven, but he still had to die. That was justice. There's a difference in justice and revenge. Never is revenge ours to take. God says, vengeance is mine. I will repay. Oh, dude, you don't want God paying that bill. You give people to God. You only have to forgive. That's not an emotion. That's an act of your will. And only God can give a man the power in his heart to do that, to forgive your enemies. On the cross, Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. What if he'd have said, I'll get you when I come back? None of us would be sitting here today. That's right. So this is practiced by Jesus. It's part of the kingdom. It's part of what He does for people, knowing that there is nobody, no matter how wicked they've been, I have the right to forgive them. May not trust them, but I forgive them. May not want to work with them, but I forgive them. They may have to face the jury and face justice in a criminal courtroom, but I forgive them. Nico had to do that with the man. There were two men that murdered his brother. One of them was executed. Uh, a few years ago, but, and he was queried by the uh, reporters as well. He made it quite clear he had forgiven, but justice still had to be served, right? And some people escaped that on earth. Some of the Nazi criminals, a few of the people were, were hunted and fugitives, died on the run. They never faced justice, but they will. God assures you, they will. They will stand before the judgment seat of God Almighty, and they will be judged. Nobody will escape, so you don't have to fret yourself about it. Just forgive and move on. It's an act of the will, and it's probably more for you than anything else. If some of you could release an ex-spouse, a business partner who stole from your business, if you could let go, and by God's power, forgive and let it go. Open heaven would occur. Favor could come on your life. In some cases, medically, your immune system is suddenly charged. Sickness begins to leave the body for some people because they are so toxic, filled with hate and bitterness. You're drinking the poison, hoping he'll die. And you're the one dying. So God says, forgive. And then Peter, he's a legalist. He had been to church. Well, how often should I forgive my brother? Seven times? And Jesus said to mock him, seven times 70. How many times should God forgive you? Well, we don't want to go there, do we? Every day, probably for something. And he says, I want you to walk that way in my kingdom, and I'm going to give you the power to do it. And the reason you can do it is because God's forgiven you. And I have to remind myself of that as well. I, if, you want, if you want judgment, well, God says, okay, then pony up, buddy. I'm going to give you a little piece of it. If you want mercy, you've got to show mercy. And God is still in the business of this forgiveness. Now, God's not done with Lewis. He's going to do something else for him. Here's another point I thought was interesting. Forgiveness is not just therapeutic for you, but it is a 
loving, humble, repentant quest to try to get reconciliation. God wants to bring people together who were formerly enemies. And only God can change enemies of nations' heart where they embrace each other as brothers in Christ. Jew and Gentile. God has broken down the wall of separation between them and made both one in Christ. African American, Caucasian, Hispanic, Asian, Portuguese, Italian, God says, if you come to me, I'm going to make you one. I'm not going to leave you alienated from each other, and you're going to honor and love each other just like you're the same. We're all part of a big family. We have a big sign and signs around town, welcome home. This is a home, it's a family. And I don't care what your nationality, your race, background, or gender, you're my brother, you're my sister, and you are accepted and you are loved, period. And God said, I do that. Somebody was abused by a white man. I can understand the, 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 from bigotry, the hatred. But hey, don't hate me. I, I, I don't hate German people for the Holocaust that are today young people and adults. They weren't even alive when that happened. How could I hate somebody? They weren't participants in that. Same for the Japanese. We don't hate anybody. We hate the awful uh, acts that were done, genocide and other things that were committed. But even Corey Tinboom, who was here in San Antonio years ago, was put in a concentration camp, and as a devout Christian, forgave her captor. She made two, one. Only God could do that. God doesn't want you to be alienated from anybody. He wants to reconcile people together, particularly in church, particularly in your marriage and family and with people. It's not always possible, but it is always possible for you to forgive. That is possible. You can't make somebody be reconciled with you. But forgiveness is the only way it's going to happen. So it's not just about my relief. Here's what Lewis uh, said in Time Magazine. I'd rather be dead than go back to Japan. I never want to see that place again. Well, one day he goes to a Christian conference and he hears Bob Pierce. This is in the 1940s. Bob Pierce founded World Vision. And Bob Pierce used to pray this all the time. Let my heart be broken for the things that break the heart of God. Bob said, you know, there's a great need for Jesus Christ in Japan. Japan had just been conquered. It was an open nation now, and they were begging people and missionaries to go there. He told the crowd, some of you ought to go back to Japan and bring Christ there. And Lewis said he was suddenly pierced in his heart with conviction. He didn't like it, but he felt it. And God wanted him to go back to Japan. He did not want to go back there. He said, being a new Christian, Lord, I'll need a good swift kick in the pants just to understand if that's really your will for me. So on his way back to his room from the conference, he gets in a conversation with a young pastor named Eric Folsom. And Eric said, did you hear what Bob Pierce said about people going back to Japan? Lewis said, yeah, I heard it. Eric said, I just got a feeling you ought to go. In fact, Lewis, God so burdened my heart, I've got 500 bucks to start you on your way to Japan. Lewis wrote, I didn't know whether to hug him or hit him. Then a singing group who had been in the conference heard Bob Pierce's talk. They came up to Lewis and said, we want to give you our tithe money to, so God can send you to Japan. I mean, you think God's talking to him or not? So Lewis went to Japan to the people he hated and to the nation he hated. While in Tokyo, a missionary couple passed a note to him from a former soldier who said, I was one of those who beat Zamperini and broke his nose. <coughs> Do you think... <clears throat> He's really forgiven me. Lewis wrote a note back saying, yes, I have. 
<coughs> excuse me. <coughs> but he said, it's easy to write. Could I say it face to face? So he ended up in what was called Camp Sagamo. It housed every single one of the 850 war criminals in Japan. So picture the moment. Lewis is preaching the gospel, the good news of Jesus in, eight, in his 80s, and he's looking at these men who beat him and others like him. And he said, I gave my usual talk, but never with more conviction about Jesus Christ, his death on the cross for sinners, his resurrection. But when I came to the part about how I'd been treated in Japanese prison camps, I thought I'd kind of dial down a little bit, temper the details and emotions, and not appear to be too angry. But I didn't, because otherwise my forgiveness would lack true meaning. You know, repentance and reconciliation can only happen based on truth. Somebody has to say, I'm at fault, I'm responsible, please forgive me. And somebody else has to accept the forgiveness. They don't have to trust you, but they have to receive that. And so in this room, there are people on both sides. You need to go and take responsibility for what you did. And said, I did it. I defrauded you. I, don't, I cannot possibly repay you. Please forgive what I did. That's a beautiful thing. That takes guts, and that takes the power of God to do it. And then it takes power to forgive somebody as well. So Lewis told him the truth, told him the gospel, and said, does anybody want to receive Christ? He said he was stunned at how many hands went up. Then the commander said, those of you who were Lewis's guards or heads of prison camps, he'd like to speak to you personally. You may come forward if you wish. Uh, I wonder if you have any broken relationships in your life. So imagine the moment. These people come forward. Lewis sees them, numbers of them whose names he's written in the book. They had cursed him, beat him, starved him, and humiliated him. And something happened to him that he said he never expected. He actually felt compassion. He said, I actually felt love for these wretched people. What a gift from God. He said he leapt off the stage, jumped down into the crowd like a mosh pit, and he starts going up to these guards and embracing them and loving them and forgiving them. That's what Jesus brings. Only God Almighty can do that. One of the guards, James Sasaki, who decided that day to become a follower of Jesus, said, I don't understand how you can forgive us. Your Christianity must be real, but I don't understand it. And Lewis said, it is real, my friend, and if you continue in your faith, one day you will understand. So for a whole bunch of people in prison, that was a liberation day. You can be in jail and be set free. You can be liberated by the power of God's forgiveness and God's mercy. And I thought that was so, so cool. Anybody of you have ever had? I've, I've shared over my 30 years founding this church several times, the hatred I had for my father. Divorced five times. Uh, I was raised by different relatives. So the home was hell. It was abusive. It was vile. It was terrible. And nobody, I never felt any kind of, a, and I think my sister would agree, we never felt any kind of encouragement uh, that we were valued or had anything. But because of that, I hated him. Not only, I hated his guts. I didn't have a day I thought about him, I didn't hate his guts. And if I could do him evil, I would. Yes, praise the Lord. That was my heart. <laughs> that was what was inside. And I will remember being in a Bible study with James Robinson and Jim Hilton was teaching, and it struck me like a what he was preaching on curses. And I remember being smitten in my heart saying, I hate that guy, and he deserves, it doesn't matter what he deserves, the problem was me. And I remember I had to make that long walk to an office, got up, walked out of that study, 
bit fearful. And I thought, here am I making the phone call to somebody who deserves to be taken out in the backyard and beaten. But I humbled myself, took full responsibility, and asked my father to forgive me. Oh, if you know me, you will know, whoa, Ricky, that was big. I'm going to ask you to forgive me when you hurt me. Yep. And you know what? The phone went dead silent. And I, um, I knew instantly, I just, I just beat him. He doesn't know what to say. He doesn't know, know what to do. He doesn't know how to respond. And I suddenly felt like a liberated prisoner. I suddenly felt like this demonic presence was gone. I took my father around the world when I preached around the world. First class, took him first class. To, I want to make sure this man got the best I could have to offer. And I've never had a bad thought about him since. I'm just using it to show you how bad I felt. And then I could go on through my life. People who have defrauded me of a couple of hundred thousand dollars, who, who were Christian brothers, who uh, took advantage of, of my money and never paid a dime back, didn't even offer to pay five dollars a month to try to show I'm with you, I'm sorry. No, no, no. Had people uh, years ago on staff, one of, our, one of our trusted employees was embezzling like $7,000 a month out of my account. Off, in those days, I traveled all over the world, and we had books and CDs, and we had an account. And the church got 60% of all of it, and the rest of it was supposed to be, for me, intelligent property. And he was taking money out of that to supplement his salary here at the church, and nobody knew it. Nobody gave him permission. He just helped himself. My money. And so I think Judy Orr discovered it. Not only that, he signed contracts in Europe for my books, which are still over there, and I never got a dime. I'm getting mad thinking about it. <laughs> and I confronted him. And I said, I forgive you. And I said, I'm not going to, I thought you were a close friend. You've been living off of me. You didn't care what happened to me, you just cared about yourself. And I said, I forgive you, and I'll pay your salary until you get full-time employment because I love your wife and your children, and I don't want to throw you to the wolves. And I paid him for six months, full salary, to find you. Did he stay and said, I did wrong, I'm sorry, I want to make this right? I want no, he left the church while I'm paying him. And then badmouth me. That's happened so many times, I could get up here and have therapy for the rest of the day. Of people have done that to me. They're supposed to look after me who don't, and they don't care. And then when they get caught, they just leave. They don't step up and say, my God, I feel like a fool. I am horrifically sorry. I can't believe I allowed this to happen. I'm going to stick into this thing. We're going to get you through it. I'm going to do everything in my power to make this right. Well, I would feel good about that. Poo on the money. I'd feel good that somebody wanted to make it right. Not one of them. People who have taken advantage and abused, and every one of them, those employees, every one of them, we paid their salary till they got a job. My wife, Jim Williams, remembers as well. We did good. Now, let me tell you people something that comes from Proverbs. He who returns evil for good, evil shall not depart from his house. Smoke that in your pipe. If I do you good and you do me evil, evil will not return from your house. You don't want this over your head, folks. 
You want to break this curse as quickly as possible. Last point. God is still in the business of bringing redemption out of evil. Romans 8, we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purpose. So God says all things are not good. Rape is not good. Molestation, a business partner stealing from you is not good. The loss of a loved one, the murder of a child, the, the, the unfaithfulness of a spouse, it's not good. But God says in everything. I will work it for good to those who love me and who are called according to my purpose. And I've had to stand on that for 71 years, that no matter how bad and unfair it is, just suck it up and know, God, you said you'd bring good out of it somehow for your glory, so I'm in it to win it. I'm not going to harbor bitterness. I'm going to let it go. I'm going to let it go. I'm not going to hold that in my body. I'm going to walk in health and healing and favor and prosperity because I haven't got time to be bitter against people who do evil against you. And I never wanted to be nothing but a friend to any of these people. And every one of them I forgave personally, and not one of them ever said, I'm sorry I did that to you. Not one. Well, let me wrap this up. You're never going to hear about them. I'm still here. I'm still standing. I'm still fruitful. I'm still bringing fruit to old age. I'm still happy. I'm fun. I love a party. I'm a happy guy. I've not let it bother me. And I don't look back on it. And unless somebody were to ask me about it, who, who was involved in bring it up, would that be it? But it just doesn't come up in my home. It doesn't come up in my conversation. Frankly, when, it's, when I forgive it, it's forgotten. Get out of here. I don't want to even bring it up. I'm embracing the future. What are we going to do now? How am I going to handle this? What are my actions going to be now for the future? You've got to go on or you will die, and the enemy will take you down for free. You cannot allow that to happen. God gives us the power to recover. And God works even Joseph's falsely accused, sold by his brothers into slavery, falsely accused of rape, put in jail for two and a half years and forgotten. And all of it God's using to help him know the culture of Egypt, learn the language of Egypt, learn how royalty treatment, learn how liars work in the Egyptian culture because he's in jail. He knows, and he keeps getting promoted until he's over all of Egypt except for Pharaoh. God used every bit of that to educate and train this man and make him strong. And when you go through a trial, if you don't come out better on the other side, something's wrong. Not bitter, better. Don't you get smarter? Won't do that again. You tighten up. You get lean and mean. God says, don't waste your pain. You ought to be tougher and smarter because of it. I'm, I'm taking you somewhere. If you can't kill that lion, don't take on a bear. And for God's sake, don't take on a giant. So win this battle. Lewis went on to speak all over the world. He started a boys' camp. He worked with homeless people retired people in a Hollywood Los Angeles church. He inspired millions out of the redeemed wreckage of his life and hatred that got turned through Jesus Christ into forgiveness and love. God brings good out of evil in unbelievable ways. The mayor of a suburb in Japan asked Lewis when he was there in 1998, he was in his 80s, the mayor said, Lewis, did anything good come out of your two and a half years as a prisoner of war? Lewis immediately responded, said, yeah, it prepared me for 53 years of married life. <laughs> He's the funny guy. He had a good sense of humor. So God brought the cross. 
God brought forgiveness for my sin and yours out of the worst thing that ever happened. God specializes in working to bring good out of every bad thing. And for 65 years, God did it through the life of Lewis. What if we were to become a community of courageous conflict facers, truth tellers, and forgiveness givers? You know, a community where lingering resentment, gossip, and talking, and violating Jesus' instructions that if you have something against your brother, go to them in private, speak to them, and try to win them back. What if that were to happen? I think God will use Lewis to speak to me, to speak to you, to change our culture, and hopefully make us that kind of people. Who do you need to reconcile with? Who do you need to forgive? Wouldn't it be great in our relationships, in our church, if we had an outbreak, not of measles, but redemptive, courageous love? The truth is getting spoken, stuff's getting confessed, junk's getting dealt with, and we've all surrendered to Jesus around here and sought reconciliation where possible in broken relationships. That'd be something. So what's God calling you to do right now? Where's God at work in your heart? Where's the attitude where you've gotten cold in your heart and you've just decided, you know what, I'm going to hold this grudge, I'm going to hold this hatred, I'm going to put these people in the category of people I don't have to love or forgive, and I'm going to have a hardened heart, a bad attitude, and I'm going to hold an unforgiving spirit no matter what. I choose to do it. You're a dead man. You are killing your future and your destiny. Instead, say, God, forgive me. God, help me. I'm the one in prison. Maybe it involves an ex-spouse or a spouse, a co-worker, a business associate, somebody in your family, somebody who hurt you deeply, took from you. Maybe you don't know what to do yet, and that's all right. God will show you when you're ready. But would you say, God, I surrender my heart. I want to confess my bitterness and my unforgiving spirit. Stop making excuses. Schedule the time. Stop letting yourself off the hook and honor Jesus by having the ministry of reconciliation in your heart. That's all He asks us to do. For more information on Rick Godwin and product available, visit SummitSA.com and click on Bookstore.